I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading John chapter 7, beginning with verse 10, down through the end of chapter 8. This is the New King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. So here's where we are in Jesus' ministry. Jesus follows after his disciples, and he appears in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, which is six months before his crucifixion. All of the events in this passage today take place in Jerusalem. We begin reading today with John chapter 7, verse 10. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said, He is good. Others said, No, on the contrary. He deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? Jesus answered and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The people answered and said, You have a demon who is seeking to kill you. Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work, and you all marvel. Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Now some of them from Jerusalem said, Is this not he whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly, and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? However, we know where this man is from, but when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I am from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. But I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. And many of the people believed in him, and said, When the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me, and where I am you cannot come. Then the Jews said among themselves, Where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing that he said? 
you will seek me and not find me, and where I am you cannot come. Well, Jesus' brethren, they departed to the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem, leaving Jesus behind. That happened at the beginning of chapter 7. This Jewish festival is sometimes called the Feast of Booths, or by its Hebrew equivalent, Sukkot, meaning booth. This is a fall festival held in the seventh month, which is late September to late October. That's six months before the Passover and the crucifixion of Jesus. Later on, however, Jesus did arrive in Jerusalem, but without the fanfare of an entourage of followers. Down in Jerusalem, the Jewish leaders, here referred to as just the Jews, they're searching for him. There's a buzz going on down in Jerusalem about Jesus' true identity. Jesus goes into the temple to teach. It's the fourth day of this eight-day festival we see in verse 14. And what fascinates the Jewish notables is the ability that Jesus has to teach without having gone to their own schools. Jesus explains how this is possible in verse 16 when he says, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. Now notice the implication of verse 17. He says, If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. In other words, if you had a relationship with God, as you say you do, God would lead you to accept the doctrine Jesus is teaching. As he makes reference to the supernatural origin of his teaching and the carefully devised plot to put Jesus to death, Jesus is subsequently accused in verse 20 of having a demon. At this point, the verbal duel between Jesus and the Jewish leaders is in full motion. One of the big controversies of Jesus' ministry had been his practice of healing on the Sabbath. Jesus addresses that in verses 22 to 24. He makes the point that Moses neither forbade healing nor circumcising on the Sabbath. However, Pharisaical oral tradition had deemed circumcising acceptable, but healing not acceptable. Ironically, the forbidden practice of healing on the Sabbath was not a problem for the Jewish leaders since they had no ability to do so anyway. In verse 24, Jesus says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. The Greek word for appearance there is opsis. That word means that which is thought to be true, but is not necessarily true. In other words, he's publicly questioning their pharisaical traditions with which they had supplemented the law of Moses. Their expansion of the law of Moses with all their extra-scriptural stipulations and conditions, well, it had transformed its application into an impossible set of laws that everyone, including the Pharisees themselves, had a great difficulty properly observing. As Jesus continues to answer questions in the temple, the common people seem to be responding favorably to what they're hearing. Notice verse 26. They say, But look, he speaks boldly, and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? Well, Jesus is speaking with authority, and the Jewish leaders are not stopping him. Could it be the people wonder that the Jewish leaders do acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah? Now, keep in mind, Christ is the transliteration of the Greek word for Messiah. Again, as on previous occasions... That comment moves this day to a whole new level. With that statement, we no longer have a scenario where a wise man is teaching. We have the Messiah in the house. At this point, we see in verse 27 a common misconception in that day as a result of Jewish folklore, 
And that misconception is that the Messiah would have a mysterious and unknown beginning. Now, quite on the contrary, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 had prophesied the birth of the Messiah. It's not clear whether or not the demonstrated ignorance of Isaiah's prophetic statement by the Jewish leadership was intentional or just due to a simple lack of scriptural knowledge. In the next few verses, as Jesus continues to teach, the Jewish leaders seek a way to put a stop to it. They would have taken him prisoner, but no one would touch him because, verse 30 says, his hour had not yet come. In other words, it wasn't time for the crucifixion at this point. Jesus talks about his departure, which is an obvious reference to his ascension, but the people just don't comprehend it. As the Jewish leaders are looking for a way to stop him, he just seems to disappear. But in the next section of Scripture, beginning in verse 37, Jesus breaks the whole thing wide open. Verse 37, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Therefore many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Now some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees, who said to them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he's doing? They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet is arisen out of Galilee. And everyone went to his own house. Verse 14 here tells us that the previous confrontation had taken place about halfway through the eight-day Feast of Tabernacles. Now verse 37 is clearly the last day of the festival. Jesus makes a defining statement in verses 37 and 38. He says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This statement was particularly meaningful to the Jewish audience that day because of the manner in which the Jews observed the Feast of Tabernacles on this last day. Extra-scriptural Jewish sources tell us that the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles included a daily procession of priests from the temple to the Pool of Siloam, from which they drew water and was then poured at the base of the temple altar. So you can see the relevance of Jesus' declaration concerning spiritual living water here in verse 37. Verse 39 establishes that this is indeed an invitation for salvation. So they begin to wonder. Is he a prophet or is he the Messiah? That distinction between Jesus' identity as a prophet or the Christ, also known as Messiah, in verses 40 and 41, demonstrates that apparently the Jews were being taught that the prophet prophesied by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18 
was not the same as the Messiah for whom they had been looking. However, Jesus points out in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, that Moses prophesied concerning the Messiah when he says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. We see a similar discussion in John chapter 1, verse 21, between Jesus and the Pharisees. Where Here's what that says. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. It's obvious that Jewish teaching of Jesus' day differentiated between the prophet of Deuteronomy 18.15-22 and the Messiah. Now, if that issue of Jesus being the Messiah and prophesied in the Old Testament with regard also to John the Baptist as the predecessor, then I've written two articles that I invite you to go look at under the topic section of BibleTrack.org. One is called, Was John the Baptist Elijah?, and the other is, Moses prophesied the Messiah. That'll clarify everything that we're talking about right now. Now, some are thinking really hard here in verse 41. Will the Christ come out of Galilee? That's what they're wondering. They were referencing Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting, not realizing that Jesus was, in fact, born in Bethlehem and not Galilee, the discussion continues. The response from the Jewish leaders, these were lawyers, so to speak, the response to the people's inquiries in verses 48 and 49 shows the mess that Judaism was in during that time period. Here's what they said. Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed, as you can see. These Jewish leaders believed that only they who knew their own version of Jewish law had favor with God. Obviously, these leaders had a real disdain for common old folks. Nicodemus, the Pharisee who came to Jesus in John chapter 3, defends Jesus in verse 51, but he's quickly put into his place by his fellow Jewish leaders on the basis of Micah chapter 5 verse 2. And that brings us to John chapter 8, beginning with verse 1, where we read about the woman taken in adultery. Verse 1, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, here's one of our very familiar stories of Scripture. It's often misused by people with political agendas to teach tolerance towards sin. But the real teaching here is a lesson on hypocrisy. 
By the way, the Jewish leaders seek to use this incident as an opportunity to trap Jesus into public prosecutable blasphemy. They point out that this adulterous woman is clearly in violation of written Jewish law, not just oral tradition. In verse 4, the scribes and Pharisees explained to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Then they cite the Mosaic law in verse 5, but leaving a significant portion out. That significant portion? Where's the man? After all, Leviticus chapter 20 verse 10 actually says, The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Again, I say, where's the man? Not that it always stopped them, but secular historians tell us that the Jews didn't have Roman authority to execute capital punishment except in the case of temple violations. Let's face it, this whole charade is just to set a trap for Jesus. We see in verse 6, they couldn't care less about the woman actually being taken in adultery. Well, their object was to get Jesus to dispute Mosaic law. However, the tables quickly turn on them when they're directed by Jesus in verse 7, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Oops, didn't think of that. I mean, the actual stoning? In fact, none of them had the authority from the Roman government to execute another for sexual violations. And then there's that writing on the ground thing by Jesus. What did it say? Well, whatever Jesus wrote on the ground in front of her accusers, well, it definitely had an impact on them. I'm guessing that whatever it was exposed their own hypocrisy to the point that it was just too embarrassing to stay around. Did Jesus condone sinful conduct? Well, no. Look at what he told the woman at the conclusion of this ordeal in verse 11. He said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Incidentally, many often ask why the man who was caught in the act didn't accompany the woman to the stoning party, per the Mosaic Law. Well, first of all, it's doubtful that they ever even intended to stone the woman in the first place since they lacked the authority to do so. The object was to trap Jesus, making statements contrary to Mosaic law. However, some have suggested that perhaps the woman was caught with a Roman. The Jewish leadership had no authority whatsoever to bring a Roman citizen to this party. However, that's just a conjecture. Then, beginning in chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus has another bout with those religious leaders. Verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet, if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Then they said to him, Where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also." These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself because he says, Where I go, you cannot come? And he said to them, You are from beneath, I am from above. 
You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Then they said to him, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. Now notice verse 12, it says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The woman taken in adultery was apparently an interruption to this dialogue between Jesus and the Jewish leaders in John chapter 7. Now verse 12 frames the next topic of discussion with the Jewish leaders as Jesus has just issued a general call for disciples. To properly understand this discussion, let's make certain that we understand the invitation. Jesus is proposing that the revelation of God, in other words, the light of life, comes through following Jesus himself. Now, that's a strong, unpalatable statement, one that the Jewish leaders just feel they must immediately and adamantly dismiss. Their very bold reply to Jesus in verse 13 is basically, you're a liar. Jesus goes on to explain his relationship with the God of Israel, mostly falling on unreceptive ears. Jesus is quite clear as he addresses them, more so than at any other time previously. Remember the discussion regarding the physical origin of Jesus back in John chapter 7, verses 40 to 42? Well, Jesus brings that up here in verse 14. Without knowledge of his origin, they had dismissed Jesus as a liar. Who cares about the facts anyway? Then the dialogue turns to a discussion about references. Jesus declares in verse 18, The Father who sent me bears witness of me. Jesus follows the statement with an indictment in verse 19 when he says this, You know neither me nor my father. Now, if you ever wonder why Jesus was not more tolerant of the Pharisees, here's your answer. They were professional religionists who did not have a relationship with God. That's a very dangerous combination, by the way. Yeah, you say, but aren't all religions good if you're sincere? Well, read what Jesus tells these professional religionists in verse 24. He says, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he you will die in your sins. So here's the deal. Jesus is the only way to heaven then and now. Now you might wonder what Jesus expects this dialogue with the Jewish leaders to accomplish. There's the expected outcome in verse 28. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. This is Jesus' direct reference to the crucifixion at the hands of these very Jewish leaders. Jesus had been prophesying his crucifixion throughout his earthly ministry. Now, consider the following references that Jesus had already made regarding his crucifixion. He said that if you destroy the temple, and he was referring to his body, he'll raise it up in three days back in John chapter 2, verses 19 to 21. That was back at the beginning of his ministry. And then he He also prophesied his suspension on a cross in John chapter 3, verse 14. 
Now, understand this. God's plan of redemption absolutely required that the Messiah first suffer death as prophesied over in Isaiah chapter 53. We see, beginning with verse 30 in chapter 8, that many actually responded to Jesus that day. Verse 30, As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me, because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore you do not hear, because you are not of God. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Then the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Now notice verse 30, we see this. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Now we see in verses 31 and 32 a distinction between salvation and discipleship. 
Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus, did you say free? That sets a fire under these Pharisees when they make their catty remark in verse 33. They say, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Well, that sets the stage for the remaining portion of this chapter. Now, if you wonder about my comment with regard to discipleship and salvation, then check out my notes, my commentary on Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 to 27, which is also paralleled by Mark 8, 34 to 38, and Luke 9, 23 to 26. And there I explain the whole thing. Notice the relationship here between faith in God and faith in Jesus from the words of Jesus in verse 42. He says, if God were your father, you would love me. In other words, Jesus and God are inseparable then and now. Now, speaking of being descendants of Abraham, Jesus makes his point regarding their highly valued heritage in verse 44 when he says, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Hey, guys, not Abraham. That's not your father. Satan's your father. Of course, they take great exception to this assessment of their spiritual blindness, and they continue to argue this point. Jesus then invokes the name of Abraham one more time, in verse 56, he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Whoa, now that's heavy. Look at the way Paul explains it in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Here's what he said. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. Paul makes the point that we are all recipients of the promise that God made to Abraham through Abraham's most notable descendant, Jesus Christ our Lord. When God said in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed, well, that's talking about us, us as Christians. So the physical descendants of Abraham, well, they got land and physical prosperity out of the covenant, but we as Christians we all get Christ and eternal life out of it. So you see, when God gave Abraham the promise of innumerable descendants, he was talking about doing so through the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Now here's another strong statement by Jesus in verse 47. He says, He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Well, that statement, perhaps Jesus meant to remind them of Proverbs chapter 28, verse 9. That verse says, One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Whether they saw the relationship or not, Jesus plainly declares in verse 51, Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone hears my word, he shall never see death. Well, Jesus caps off this discussion by making a statement that identifies himself as God in verse 58. Here's what it says. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, what's wrong with that grammar? Well, it's a play on words that flashes back to the burning bush from which God spoke to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. Here's what that verse says. 
And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now in Greek, the word was is the aorist infinitive of genomai, literally meaning before Abraham was born, I am. That statement is, in essence, Jesus proclaiming himself to be God in the flesh without actually saying those exact words. Well, their reaction, verse 59 says, Then they took up stones to throw at him. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walton.